The story is told of a famous Harvard professor who was known for his expertise in problem solving. And as a result of this reputation, he was hired by a large transportation company to teach their drivers how to recognize those factors that lead to driving accidents and ultimately, obviously, to be able to learn how to avoid them before they happen. So at a particular seminar that he was in in Atlanta to a room filled with tractor-trailer drivers, he presented the following case study. He said, put yourself in this position. You're coming down a steep mountain grade, and it's at night. And you've got a full trailer load of product when you discover you have no brakes. To the right is a 200-foot drop in a cliff. To the left, you have oncoming traffic. And down ahead at the bottom of this particular grade, there is a busy traffic intersection filled with pedestrians as well as with other cars. What would you do? And no one volunteered an answer. And there's that awkward silence that goes when it's just not working really well. And so finally, he looked at a guy and said, Sir, sir, excuse me, sir, what, what would you do? And so now this guy's stuck. And he starts thinking for a second. He said, Well, sir, first thing I'd do, I'd wake up Billy Bob. And he said, Billy Bob? Who's Billy Bob? Well, Billy Bob, he's my relief driver. He's sleeping in a sleeper cab. And he said, That is excellent. Did you hear what he said? He would wake up Billy Bob because he's in the sleeper cab and he's looking for some additional help and they're going to be able to kind of pull their resources and come up with a solution. He goes, oh, no, 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 sir. He goes, now, nah, I'm not waking up Billy Bob for any kind of help. He goes, well, why are you waking up Billy Bob? He goes, well, Billy Bob, Billy Bob's from a small town in South Carolina. And where Billy Bob grew up, he ain't never seen an accident like the one we're about to get into. <laughs> You know, and every time I think of that story, I think about just the, the collision that takes place every time the religious leaders, you know, go at Jesus toe-to-toe. And it's kind of like, oh boy, here comes another collision. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 20, because in this particular chapter, starting with verse 20 through 26, Jesus teaches the religious leaders and us, as a result, some of the essential truths regarding God and politics. So in Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 20, we read these words. And they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so as to deliver him up to the rule and the authority of the governor. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and uh, teach correctly. You're not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth says, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people and marveling at his answer, they became silent. In this passage, this text is a great example of how two groups of people who otherwise hate each other come together because they have one common interest and one common interest only, and that is their hatred of Jesus. These two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, were just as diverse of groups of people as you'll ever get. They're, they're like modern-day political parties, You know, if you're for it, we're against it. If you're against it, we're for it. 
You know, if you say it's up, we'll say it's down. You say it's right, we'll say it's wrong. You say it's left, we'll say it's right. And, 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 this, and that's basically what these people were all about. They had opposing viewpoints. The Pharisees were nationalistic. They longed for the day that the Messiah would come and set up his kingdom. The Herodians on the other end were accommodating to Rome. And it was kind of like, hey, you know what? They just did whatever Rome told them to do. And they tried to do the best that they could in that political structure and try to get involved in, the, in it and uh, get whatever privileges were available. The Pharisees kind of dug in and said, we'll have nothing to do with the Romans. And the Herodians said, hey, you know what? We'll just get along with them. You know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And that was kind of their attitude. You know, the Pharisees represented conservative Judaism. The Herodians were liberal in their convictions. The Pharisees were, I guess, what we would say right-wingers today. And the Herodians were left-wingers. They were in total opposition of one another in every area. And yet, they also had one thing in common, and that is they hated Jesus because on one hand, the Pharisees knew that Jesus would interrupt the religious agenda of the Pharisees. And on the other hand, they knew, you know, the Herodians knew that Jesus would interrupt the political aspirations and the agenda of the Herodians. So you've got two groups of people who hate Jesus for the same reason, and that basically is he's going to upset their personal agenda. And so they, got, they came together, and they continually came together, and they tried to, every chance that they get, uh, confront Jesus and trap him or trick him or watch him or throw out questions to him, and they're hoping they can get him. And every time that I read this in, in the Scripture, I just laugh and I think, uh, it, it would almost be like saying, hey, wake up Levi, Bob. Because you ain't never going to see a train wreck like the one that's about to take place now. These guys keep going at Jesus toe-to-toe, and every time they do, they just get slammed and put in their place. But it doesn't stop them. They continue to do it. And I can just see the meetings behind the scenes. It's like, oh, that question didn't work. I thought you said that was a good question, man. I thought we had every angle covered, man. You know, and they came up with another one. And so I know that the question that's in our text today came up with probably a list of questions that these are really tough questions. There's no way he can get out of it. Let's throw them out one at a time. Ooh, shot that one down. Yeah, but you know what? Now we got kind of the ace. We got the ace in the hole. And this whole passage, not only today, but also in our, our, our text for next time, you know, they're just questions that are being thrown out. They're supposedly the most difficult questions that anybody could be presented uh, with to have to deal with. And Jesus just kind of, you know, hey, he just deals with them. And we'll see that as we go through this. So, you know, as formidable a foe as Jesus was, it didn't stop them because hate is blind. And they didn't get it. They just didn't get it yet. And they didn't want to get it because they had already come up with their own conclusion. And there's three things we're going to look at. First is, notice in verse 20 through 23, this, uh, this attempted entrapment. They were trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to get him into a trap. They were trying to have him say something that they could use against him. And that's basically the, the, the background of the question. These fellows knew they had to be extremely clever. And it was as, as if they took delight in the pursuit of Jesus. You know, sometimes that's how, especially men, that's how we can be. It's kind of like the thrill of the hunt. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's not so much, you know, capturing the prize as it is the pursuit of the prize. You know, and the, the capture, it's almost like a letdown. You know, I've seen that in professional sports for the last 25 years. You know, guys, are, they play football, they want to win a Super Bowl. They play baseball, they want to win World Series. And it kind of like, then when you get it, it's like, oh, that was kind of a letdown. It was the pursuit. It was the hunt. It was the experience that leads up to it. And when you finally achieve it, you kind of go, oh, that was disappointing. 
You know, I think all of life is like that, really. But at the end of the day, the only thing that won't be is what God tells us he has ahead for us. It is the only time in Scripture that I read over and over again where, you know what, God's promises for God's people, it's the one time in life when we finally realize those promises, we will not be disappointed at all. In fact, we'll be like kicking ourselves going, man, I can't believe that, you know what, I was so hesitant. And in God's people, you know, when I'm dealing with death on a regular basis, either my own impending one or, or others that I know through illness, and all, although all of us are, you know, are, are terminal and mortally wounded because of sin, but at the end of the day, it's amazing to me how many folks where it's like, you know, we hang on to this life like it's, you know, like, man, this, it's the best thing that's happening to us. And I got to believe one day when we're in the presence of the Lord, God's people are going to look back and go, wow. What in the world was I hung up so much about, you know, entering through death's door because death's door is the portal into the presence of God. So it's kind of like, hey, we might as well live in the fullness and enjoy life today because Jesus, he conquered death, he conquered sin, he conquered the devil. God's people should live in no fear other than the fear of God because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So as we go through this, you know, they came up with certain methods. And I want you to notice what their methods were. It says that we're told that they watched him and sent spies. And what's sad about that is the word watch means they watched him for the purpose of trying to find fault with him, not for trying to discern truth. They weren't listening to Jesus to find if what he was saying was truthful and examine it against Scripture to see if he really was the promised one of God, they had already made up their mind that he wasn't. So they were just listening and watching in order to somehow discredit him. And so many times people in our culture today do the same thing when it comes to spiritual things. They've already made up their mind, even though they don't have a basis for how they made up their mind. There's no evidence or facts upon which they've come to their conclusion. But instead of listening for the purpose of learning to say, is this true or isn't it true? They've, they come prepared with a list of objections and they don't even listen to what's being said because they already know what they're going to say in return and they want to discredit whatever it is that's being said. And, and, and I just say that there's a lesson in it for all of us and that is when we come before God and we open the Word of God, we come to a service or we come to our own personal private time of Bible study, You know, my encouragement to you is that you come with an open mind to hear God's truth, not with a preconception or a mind that's already made up, and you're looking for what you want to do, and you find that one, you know, skewed scripture that we distort in order to somehow validate our decision. We go to the Word of God openly, and we say, Lord, you know what? I want to hear from you. Teach me truth, and lead me and guide me into all truth, so that the decision that I make is founded upon truth, and not founded or based upon my own subjectivity or my own personal agenda and there's a total it's an entirely different way to have a bible study than it is to say you know what i've already made up my mind now i just got to find that one verse or that one passage that i can twist and manipulate and somehow make validate what it is that i want to do i go to god and say god you know what i don't know what we need to do I have, I have an idea, but I'm not sure my idea is founded upon God's truth. So God, show me what we need to do. As leaders, show us what we need to do. What does your word have to say? I kind of got a gut feeling about it, but I don't necessarily know if that's right or wrong. So show me, guide me, teach me, lead me into your truth. Well, they were watching him to discredit him. They had stopped watching him to objectively observe what it is that he did and what he said a long, long time ago. 
they had already made up their mind that Jesus, I don't care whether you say you're the Messiah, that you're the Savior of the world. I don't care how many scripture verses that you quote. I don't care how many eyes of the blind you raise, how many dead people you raise up. I don't care, you know, any of that. We've made up our mind, you're not our God, you're not our Savior, period. Oh, why not? Because we don't want you to be. That's all. And so they were looking at this method, and notice this. So they watched him to discredit him, and they sent spies who what? Pretended to be righteous. So we already know going into the question, the question wasn't asked with an open heart as to, God, teach us. We're really struggling with this whole tax thing. Do we pay taxes or don't we? They didn't care. They, they, they wanted to find a question that would trap him so that then they can indict him according to the words that he stated. And that's exactly so they could catch him in some statement as to deliver him up to the rule and the authority of the governor. The, mention, the, you know, the methods that they used were they watched and they sent spies. Why did they do that? Because they hated truth. Jesus said, the reason that people don't accept the light that shines in the darkness of their life is because they hate the light because the light exposes the evil deeds of their heart. The reason people don't like God's truth is because they much rather prefer their own actions and behavior, which is wrong before God. So when you shine a light on it and you say, God says this, People hate it because it's basically calling attention to their actions. That's why people don't want to talk about God hates divorce. Why? Because, you know what, I've already made up my mind. I don't really want to stay married. So don't be telling me what God's word has to say. Don't tell me that God's word says that I can't have sex outside of heterosexual marriage because I've already made up my mind that I like it. And so because I like it, I will justify it in that we love each other, we're committed to each other, we've set a date, we've got engaged, whatever all of that is, and we all rationalize and justify sin, it's not hard to do. So we don't like it when it's exposed. And so we don't like anything that's exposed, and I don't know what struggles that you're currently having, but I'll guarantee you this, you don't like to hear that what you're doing is wrong before God. Why? Because frankly, you like doing the wrong thing. And that's what happened. They liked doing the wrong thing. That's why they hated Jesus, because Jesus called attention to their wrong behavior, and he just shined a big spotlight on them, and they didn't like it. So instead of what? Agreeing with God that their actions were wrong, they conspired together to shut out the light, to snuff the light. We see that all the time. People come to a church, they hear God's truth, they're guilty in an area of their life, and so what do they do? I'm going to go find another church that's not so judgmental. What does that mean? Just I'm going to go find a place that will accommodate my sinful behavior. So we'll go somewhere else. We'll find some pulpit that's watered down that just tells me that I'm okay, you're okay, and basically that, you know, I feel good, you feel good, and as long as you don't bother me and the sin in my life, I won't bother you about the sin in your life, and we'll get along just fine. What? Then why even go at all? Why not just lay and stay in bed in the morning? Don't get up and go to church. Just stay in bed and justify and rationalize your own sin. You don't need to get up, get dressed, and drive somewhere for it. Have coffee, sleep in, enjoy it. You know, it's like, why do that? Because we like to deceive ourselves. That's why. And God says, don't be deceived. Whatever man sows, he's going to reap. 
give you an example. I got a guy that I spent a lot of time with. And, uh, you know, went through a Bible study together, spent a lot of time with. And, you know, we developed a relationship by, based on our time spent together in God's Word. And, you know, and he, he, he learned to respect and to trust me because he knew that no matter what was going on in his life, I just told it the way it is. You know what? I can understand how you feel that way. I can understand why you might choose to do those things. But I'm just here to tell you that it's wrong before God. Look, you know what? Anybody that's been married for a long period of time understands how sometimes you don't like your spouse. You know, except me. <laughs> don't have a clue. But I know that there's been times where my spouse haven't liked me. You know, it's like, I love you, but I just don't like you right now. You know, and, we, and you know that. I mean, come on. After, you know, Lynn and I almost 30 years. I mean, there's been times that I've dro- I, have, I drive her crazy. And, uh, and it might have been even recently, but I don't pay attention. <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, it's like, you know, and we all can understand that. Say, I understand that. There are times where you kind of go, you know what? I, I, I hate the responsibility of getting up and being a responsible person and making the right decisions and being a godly role model or a godly example. And, you know, oh, it's just all the pressure that comes with that. And it's like, you know, so you know, who can't understand the temptations that are out there in the world to do what's wrong before God? I can understand as a mom, we had three children of our own and two grandchildren now, and I can understand and I know what it's like to go, man, you know what, this gets old after a while. Diapers and talking back and, you know, and then you get through that and then they get to be teenagers and then you're a moron and an idiot and you don't know anything and what are you going, you can't go out dressed like that and, you know, what street corner are you working on? You know, it's like, what are you doing? You can't dress like that. No, you don't understand. That's the way we dress. And it's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, we, we, we all go through that. But the reality of it is, is that, no, yeah, we all go through that, but, you know, but we need God's word to get us through it in a way that we are unscathed in the process. So anyway, I meet with this guy on a regular basis, and it breaks my heart to find out several months ago that he decided, you know what, being a faithful husband, you know, is just a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of commitment. You know, when you got women throwing themselves at you on a regular basis to be faithful to your wife. You know, and, 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 and to have three small children and, you know, it's like my wife's not as much fun as she used to be to be around and she's always tired. And it's like, no kidding, Sherlock. <laughs> you know, you wanted to have children, then she had them, now she's tired because she's taking care of them because you don't do anything to help her. It's like, man, you know, and he bought into the lie, you know, and now I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. I used to be a godly man who was, was, was knowledgeable in God's truth, and now when I confront him about this foolishness of his decisions and the path that he's on and the destructive behavior that he's bought into and the lie that, he, that, he, that he's accommodating in his life, you know, now he won't even return my calls. But, praise God, I still have a cell phone. I still have his cell number, so he won't call me back, but that doesn't keep me from calling and leaving the messages. Hey, remember, sin will take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay? Remember that. Have a nice day. <laughs> because I love him. I love him, and I'm committed to doing everything that I can to jump out in front of him and say, you are on the road to destruction. There is a way that seems right, brother, and you know what? But its end is destruction, and you're, you're, you're cruising down that highway. 
And you are going to regret this day for the rest of your life if you don't repent right now. See, I, I think of him in every modern day example that, in fact, Linda and I were talking on our way to have my uh, treatment on Tuesday in the book that, you know, the Enjoy the Drive, You're Still Alive book, you know, and it's a book that I'll probably always talk about and never write, but um, it, it, uh, there's a chapter, I'm going to call it The Knuckleheads. And, uh, and this gal's, and, and, and this uh, guy's wife said, and you can put a picture of my husband in that chapter, you know, big picture of him, you know. And I thought, you know, and, and then we started to go through in our, our last 20-some years of ministry, you know, just how many people would go in the knucklehead chapter. Then I thought, it's not even a chapter. The knuckleheads is the book. That's a whole book. You know, and, the, and these guys are knuckleheads. This is, the, the, you know, it's like, what is wrong with you people? When are you going to accept God's truth in your life and agree with God you're wrong and repent and turn from it? Because if you do, God is faithful. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. He will cleanse us. He will heal us. He will forgive us. But if we don't ask God's forgiveness and agree that what we're doing is wrong and repent, then He will crush us. And those are the two options. They decided to pursue sin. And they were bent on their own self-destruction. Their motivation was to uh, find something that they can catch Him. Some translations say they could seize him in order to deliver him up, which is another way of saying to offer him up as a sacrifice, to deliver him up, to to kill him, to destroy him. And in verse 21, we see something that is a warning to all of us. And here we have the manner of their asking. And we're told that, you know, that they asked, teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly. And you're not partial to any truth, but teach the way of God in truth. And so there was no confusion about what seems like a respectful and honest question. Under other circumstances, it would be a wonderful question. You know, Lord, we know that you teach truth. We know that you don't care who we are, that you don't respect any human being, that you respect God and you teach God's truth and you're not worried about offending me or us or whatever and, and our power and our influence. And, you know, you're like a pastor who doesn't care about preaching truth to the person who gives the most amount of money to their congregation. It's like it doesn't matter to you. You just tell it the way it is. And if we're offended by it, you don't even care if we leave because you're more committed to God's truth and God's word than you are to making friends or pleasing people. And I hope and I pray that that will always be my legacy. And the bottom line is this. It said that, you know what? But this isn't why they asked. They asked because they were trying to catch him. They asked because they had evil motives. They asked because, like Jesus said, he recognized their trickery. They weren't asking because they wanted truth. And basically, they were flattering. And there's no place in the life of a Christian for flattery. And you know what flattery is? It's the other end of gossip. Gossip is talking behind somebody's back what you'd never say to their face. And flattery is saying something to their face that you'd never say behind their back. If you really think about it, that's the way it is, isn't it? You talk about people in front of them. And, oh, wonderful. Pat, what a wonderful message. And then you walk out and go, man, what was that? That was great. Hey, way to preach it, brother. That was boring. You're killing me. You know, it's like, so we say one thing, flattery, and seeing Jesus, who better than the Word of God to know the Word of God, knew that flattering lips, you know, lead to destruction. 
It's like, oh, teacher, you're wonderful, you're marvelous. And Jesus knowing them, and you know, these are the same guys that behind closed doors are sitting there trying to think of a question you can nail me on. I'm not that wonderful. I'm not that marvelous. You know, you don't believe anything that you just said, although what you said sure sounded good and tell me some more. You know, but Jesus, as the ultimate preacher, didn't buy into it. Now, human preachers, you know, we like to hear that. Oh, tell me, how was I? Was I, you know, how was it? You know, and it's, and it's always, tell me that I, was, I, I did good. Because we, 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 you know, we, we need that. We like that. We want that. You know, worship leaders, you know, tell me I was good. And, and, and you know, we don't want to hear that, you know, no, actually, or no, no, I, I, I didn't follow you. We want to hear, you were wonderful. See, but Jesus, in him there's no darkness at all. So he doesn't need that. He doesn't need the strokes. He doesn't need to be built up. He doesn't need to hear what human beings unfortunately crave for, and that is the affirmation of people. You know, and I pray, and I hope that you do, that we never are more, we're, we're always more concerned about the affirmation of God than we are of people. Because we all know that we put stuff out to vote, and it's a joke. I mean, think about it. You know, if it's about, oh, who liked the music this morning? You know, we have the applause meter. Who likes the old hems? Oh, applause meter. Who liked the old rugged cross? Oh, I like that better. Who likes this over here? Oh, I like that. You know, and the young people say, I like this music. The older people say, I like that music. And you know what? And if we're living to please God instead of living to, I mean, living to please people instead of living to please God, we will drive ourselves crazy. And it's also self-centered. The reason you like it is because it's all about you. Here's my question for all of us as it comes to worship, as it comes for being in church, as it comes for listening to God's word. God, are you pleased with what we're doing? That's all that matters. Are you pleased? God, are you pleased with us singing hymns as you are pleased with us singing contemporary choruses? Are you pleased with us studying this book of the Bible as you are with us studying that book of the Bible? Because at the end of the day, are our hearts right before you? Because you're all about seeing what other people can't see. You're all about seeing the heart. Are our hearts right? And if our hearts are right, then God is pleased. And if God is pleased, then the rest of us better like it. Better like it. And, you know, and I want to be, as a pastor, as sensitive as I can to the diversity of people and all of our different backgrounds, but at the same time, never acquiesce to the point where the loudest and the, you know, the squeaky wheel is the one that gets greased because the one I'm here to please is God. I hope you are too. And if you are, then we're all going to get along just fine. But if you're not... That's another sermon. Maybe that'll be another chapter in the book. <laughs> but anyway, so Jesus, you know, he understands their flattery and he doesn't buy into any of it. And so the dilemma of all of this is, you know, okay, how's he going to get away with this? Because notice what they said. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Remember, you got these two diverse groups of people. And the one group saying, hey, if you say it's okay to pay taxes, your people are going to hate you because they hate Rome and they hate the oppression of Rome. If you say it's not okay to pay taxes, 
gotcha, because we're going to run to Rome and say, this guy's going to start an insurrection. He's going to cause a riot against Rome. And when Jesus was a boy growing up, there was, a, there was an insurrection against Rome, and they just slammed it and shut it down. And in 70 AD, afterwards, there was another insurrection against Rome, and that's when Titus came in and said, you know what, I'm not putting up with your rebellion, and hammered him and turned the city of Jerusalem upside down as part of the judgment of God. So they figured, we got the perfect question he cannot get off and he cannot slip off of this hook there is no way he says this we got him he says that we got him this is going to be a great day they are excited and again i say wake up levi bob because you ain't about prepared for what's going to about to happen to you and so jesus noticed this astonishing escape and it wasn't an astonishing escape from god's perspective it is from man's perspective and everybody that was there that day because the audience is there going like this Ooh, they got him now how's he going to get through how's he going to get away with this oh they got him now and so jesus in response demonstrates the wisdom of god and he looks at him and says you know what here's the purpose the, you know what was their purpose behind the question And the purpose is, you know what, man, why are you testing me? He said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? See, they were testing him. And they were, you know, and it says, and they said to him, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things of God's that are God's. You know, they were testing him. You know, when the devil tested, tempted Jesus, he said, it is written in Scripture in Deuteronomy 6.16 that says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's like, who do you think you are testing God? Well, it's evident. To them, Jesus wasn't their Lord and wasn't their God. As he wasn't Thomas's until he saw him before him and said, until I see the wounds in his hands and I put my fist in his side, until then, he's not my Lord, he's not my God. But when Jesus popped up and showed up in front of him, he went, my Lord and my God. Okay, enough evidence. You are now my Lord and my God. See, some of us, you know, we haven't come to that conclusion. Is he your Lord and is he your God? Is he truly your Savior? If he is truly your savior, then why do you continue to put him to the test? Why, when things happen in your life, do you raise that question, why, God, are you doing this? I had a privilege to speak the other night at a conference in Costa Mesa of professional athletes. And uh, one of the things that I was able to share with them was, you know what, throughout this whole ordeal that, that I've gone through and my family's gone through with cancer, I can say before God and before you, I never ask God why. And the reason was because for years I had always given counsel that, you know what, stop asking why because that's your way of saying you don't trust God and ask God what do you want to do with this trial or this, 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 this obstacle, this hurdle in my life. What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? How do you want to use it for your purposes and for your glory? And it never was a matter of like, why God, why would you do this to me? Because the answer is, why not? I'm more blown away with why, God, would you call me from darkness to light? Why, God, would you send your son to die on the cross for me when you know how wretched and miserable a person that I was before you when I had nothing to do with you? Why, God, would you give me yourself when I ran from you and pursued a life that was just absolutely everything that you say is right, I pursued that which was wrong. 
I'm more amazed at why, God, you would love me, forgive me, that you would show mercy on me than I am with anything that you would do in my life subsequent to coming to faith in Christ. So I don't ask God why, I ask what? And I hope that all of us as God's people and as God's church, we start to ask the question, what do you want to teach us? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? Who do you want us to reach through this? And never ask the question, why are you doing this to me? If we are asking why we have not learned who our God truly is, can we really question God, His love for us, His concern for us, His desire to give us His best, to make us heirs with Christ? I mean, the Bible is very clear on all that. So it comes down to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and let's start being used by God in the circumstances of our life to promote His kingdom and His glory. See, these men did not see Jesus as their Lord and their God. So he said to them, and the purpose of their question was to test him. And on the coin, he said, well, show me a coin. And I like this, because he didn't even have one. So he made them show the coin that they were so opposed to having. And they went, oh, here, I got one. Duh. All right, and on it, you know, it said Tiberius, the divine one. You know, our coins were minted in our country to say, in God we trust, not in any human ruler or authority. Because our country's forefathers had come from an environment where those who were in leadership put themselves on an equal plane or greater than God of the universe. So our forefathers, contrary to the revisionists, came to this country and said, we are going to recognize a supreme being, we're going to recognize God, and it's in God we trust, not in man, not in ourselves. So they pulled out a coin and said, here's one right here. And he said, okay, well, whose inscription's on it? And they said, well, Caesar's. And he rendered the soundbite of all human history. Then render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. What was he saying? Well, they all understood that if your likeness was on a coin, then you owed the person on the coin in order to do business with the coin that had their inscription on it. So it was, there wasn't a person out there who would argue with them. No, you shouldn't give to Caesar what's his. No, you better give to Caesar what's his. Why? Because it's his. And so all governments from that point on recognize the validity of human government, not only because of what Jesus said, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but because the word of God also follows up. And if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 13, it follows up very clearly and explains why we should render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's or why we should give government its proper due and respect because government was instituted by God. And the reason for it's very simple. Without government, chaos reigns. Without some form of authority, we've got anarchy. And I get so tired of people who moan and groan about our government or system of government or form of government. You know, I'm not voting for anybody. They're all a bunch of crooks. Duh. That's about as ignorant a statement as anybody could say. Because the bottom line of it is, okay, then what's your alternative? What's the alternative? Let's just have anarchy. Let's everybody just do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. 
Let's drive down the street and say, if you want to go on green, you go on green. You want to stop on on green, and then you can stop on green. You want to go on red, then you can go on red. You can just make up your own. And yellow, hey, we'll all go together. (laughs) Just make up your own rules. Well, God says, you can't do that. Why? Because of sin nature. Sin nature has to be restrained. Sin nature has to have some controls and parameters. Otherwise, you know what? We got a disaster on our hands. Let every person, who would that be? Oh, I think everybody, be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those who exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and he hath opposed, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Hey, then do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. You don't want to be afraid of your boss and do the right thing. You don't want to be afraid of your parents and do the right thing. You don't want to be afraid of governing authorities and police officers, then do the right thing. You know, the, the best thing can happen to every one of us when it comes to our driving is to have a, a police officer in our rearview mirror. It's like, oh, police officer. And I know that because this, this morning I came to a light and it was like, I think I could have made it. And then I saw a police officer sitting there and went, well, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> so, you know, when in doubt, don't. And my wife just started laughing because she's like, well, why don't you just drive like that all the time? It's like, because, you know, it's a guy thing. It's like, if it's yellow, it's not red. And yellow means proceed with caution, no matter how fast you're going. So for rulers, and think about it, if pastors are so messed up, how much more messed up are you people? <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway. For, <laughs> for uh, rulers, or, oh, I already read that, didn't I? Okay. Uh, do what is good, and you'll receive praise from the same. For it, speaking of government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, then be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's conscience's sake. Which means, you know what? Not only should be afraid of getting in trouble, but because God has given us a conscience that says, you know what? Do the right thing. Because even when we don't get caught sometimes, our conscience bothers us because we know what we did was wrong and we shouldn't have done it. So if you want to have a clear conscience and you don't want to be afraid of getting in trouble, do the right thing so you won't get in trouble and also do the right thing. You'll have a clear conscience and you'll sleep better at night and you'll be able to look at yourself in the mirror and not worry about it. You know, you've all heard the story about the guy who cheated on his taxes and his conscience was driving him crazy. And he sent a check to the IRS. And this is a true story. He sent a check to the IRS with a letter and enclosed with a check for like $10,000. He said, to whom it may concern. You know, several years ago, I cheated on my taxes and it's been driving me crazy that I haven't paid what was rightfully mine to pay. And so therefore, I've sent a check for $10,000. And then said, P.S., if my conscience still bothers me, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> and he says, uh, render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Hey, pay your taxes. Why? We got police officers. We've got firemen. 
We've got governing authorities that, you know, help, you know, as much as I hate to say this, and when we're building, you know, the church and have to go through the process and get permits and inspectors and all of that, the whole purpose of the system is to protect us as a church from those who might come and do work on the property and not doing it, do it according to code. So you have to pay for the, have an inspector come out, and sometimes they slow things down and they drive us crazy. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, you know what, though? But praise God for them because God's system is set up because God knows man and man is evil at heart, and we all have a sin nature. And if we didn't have accountability, we would all get ourselves into a whole bunch more trouble because we would do what seemed right to us, but the end is destruction. So that's why I said honor, you know, those are in God. Hey, we have roads that we can drive on. And then we start to complain when there's potholes. It's like, oh, look at these roads. These roads are in terrible shape. Okay, well, then here's a bond initiative. We need to raise money so we can patch roads. I'm not voting for any taxes. I'm never going to vote to pay a tax. Well, then you're going to drive down pothole bumpy roads. I mean, that's just the way that it is. Oh, sitting on the freeway. I hate this traffic. Bumper to bumper, bumper to bumper traffic. Well, you want more lanes and we got to pay for them. How do you think they're going to get there? See, we all like to moan and groan and pay, complain about things. Nobody wants to pay for anything. Hey, y'all complain about these hard chairs. Guess what? Y'all paying for new soft cushiony ones. <laughs> and only some of you are getting to enjoy them on a regular basis. But one day, I see the day coming <laughs> when I look out upon God's people and they'll all be sound asleep in their new reclining chairs. <laughs> That's between you and God. But back, back to Luke, back to Luke. So the principle that, that, you know, we see here is that, you know, as answered that Jesus states has several dimensions to it. And there's two of them. And we'll kind of wrap it all up with this. The first dimension is give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Pay taxes because there are benefits to taxes. And that's just the way that it is. And if we don't like where our tax money is being spent, then vote in elected officials who represent us more accurately and won't spend money in areas that they're choosing to spend money that personally is an, is an abomination before God. We need to raise up godly leaders who we can say, listen, we don't want a tax dime spent on abortion. We don't want a tax dime spent on stem cell research. We don't want a tax dime spent on handing out contraceptives to children. We don't want a tax dime spent on all this because we are morally opposed to those things. And if you won't listen to what we say, then we'll get somebody else in there who will represent us more uh, accurately. That's the system. Praise God for that system. We have a right. But instead, what do we do? We, we just moan and complain and whine about everything and do nothing about it. And as a result, we lose our, our culture around us. And what God has to say to all of us is this. You know what? Be involved. Be vocal. Be light. Be salt. Be active. And above everything, pray. Pray for our elected officials. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Why? So that we may live an orderly and quiet and tranquil life because we have godly people in those offices representing society. Stop whining and get busy doing stuff. 
See, in Jesus' day, you know, this legal tender was no different than today. They had certain benefits because of what Caesar was doing. They may have hated him, but they also realized, you know what? He's been good for our town. He's brought in roads. He's brought in plumbing. He's brought in irrigation. He's brought in a whole bunch of stuff. He's helped commerce expand. And yeah, we don't like a dictator, but we like some of the benefits of a dictator. So Jesus said, then give to Caesar what Caesar's. Now, on the flip side of that, the Bible is also very clear that there are times where we have to uh, stand firm and we would have to uh, object to those who are in governing authority. Read Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5 when you have an opportunity. But there are times to sum it all up, it's this. You know, they told the, the, they told the apostles, they told the disciples, don't go around telling people about Jesus. And they said, you know what? Whether we should be telling people about Jesus or not, you know, that's for you to determine. But as for us, we're going to go around telling people. And the reason for it is because Jesus told us to tell everybody about them. And so where society or government comes in and says, you know what? You can't preach from the Word of God anymore. You can't teach from the Bible. You can't teach God's truth. You can teach some of it. We like the things about love, but we don't like the things about sin. So that's okay if you'll talk about the good stuff, but we don't want you to talk about those things that bother us. You can talk about everybody going to heaven, all roads lead to heaven, you can do that, but don't be talking about judgment and condemnation and hell. So we'll eliminate that part. See, what's amazing to me and the irony of this is that we still have the freedom in our country to preach God's truth, the whole counsel of God, you know, what people would say, the good and the bad, all of it, you know, we're able to teach it. And there are churches and there are pulpits who have decided not to teach it because it offends people. Now, what do you think that they're going to do the day that any kind of oppressive government comes in and says, you know what, we don't want you teaching even some of the other things that you're teaching. And I'll guarantee you, they'll be like, well, that's fine because we've already given up some of it anyway. What's a little bit more? And the reason that society goes, quote, to hell in a handbasket is because the pulpits of America stop declaring the truth of God's word. And, the, and if the truth of God's word is not declared, the spirit of God and his convicting power doesn't go forth in the hearts of people who then go out and live what it is that they learn, then they don't apply those things. And then you wonder why, how in the world does this happen? Well, here's how it's happening. Because God's people are to set the moral standard in, cult, in a culture because the rest of the culture is lost. And living in darkness. The wretch of the culture says, shut up. We don't want to hear you. We want to extinguish the light. So you and I have to hold fast to the word of God. Steadfast and movable. In season and out of season. Always being prepared to give an answer or defense for the hope that is within us. Always being prepared to preach the word of God. In season and out. Why? Because you know what? That is what God uses. The weapon of choice to reach the hearts of men for God. So we're committed to it. Now, here is how it all falls together. He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That all makes sense, right? Is everyone in agreement that makes sense? Hey, well, that's why we pay taxes. That makes sense. Now, here's the kicker. And give to God that which is God's. What's God's? Huh. Let's just stop and think about something. If a coin is Caesar's because his inscription is on a coin, then you and I are God's because his inscription is upon us. 
We have been created in the image and likeness of God. His image is stamped upon every human being. And what he's saying is very simple, and that is this. If you understand to give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, then you must also understand you are to give to God that which is God's. And that which is God's is you. Not a part of you, not a piece of you, not some of you, but all of you. Then give to God that which is God's. Now here were guys who had a denarius in their pocket who were rendering to Caesar what was Caesar's because everybody had to pay the tax just for the privilege of existing. Think about this. You had to pay a tax for the privilege of existing. It was like a census or a poll tax. You exist, therefore you pay. What do we owe God for the privilege of existing? If a government provides asphalt and roads and protection, what does God provide? How about oxygen, (laughs) sunlight, heat, your very life, my very life, our very existence? We know we are because we are created in the image and likeness of God. I know I exist because I have the ability to reason. Your dog, contrary to what you may think, doesn't know he exists. He doesn't go around and say, I think, therefore I am. But you and I do. We can think, therefore we are. We've been created in the image and likeness of God. We are who we are because God is who He is. We love because He first loved us. We have the capacity, those of us who have trusted Christ, to forgive because God has first forgiven us in Christ. We have the capacity not to hold things against other people because God cleanses us from all unrighteousness and He removes all of that from us. We have the capacity to be patient because God is patient with us. We have the capacity to put others first Because God put us before Him and had this attitude that was in Christ that we're to have. Though He existed in the form of God, God didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He humbled Himself and He took on the appearance or the likeness of men and took Himself to the cross, obedient to the point of death. We are because of who God is. And God says, because of who I am and who you are and you were created in my image and likeness, you owe me yourself. All of you. The amazing ending before I get back to the conclusion is in verse 26. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer. And they became silent. You know what, what, what amazing thing that is when you got guys like that who finally just shut up? That's an amazing thing. Prideful and arrogant people that basically got paid for telling other people what to do. They're getting paid by the word. They didn't have anything to say. You know, and sometimes we need to be like that, don't we? It's like Job said, you know what? I just cover my mouth. I talk too much. He asked too many why questions. 
And that's when God says, you know, if you want to know why, then let me ask you why first. You know, why did I do what I did? How did I create the universe? How's it held up? How did I do this? How did I do that? How did I do that? Four chapters of those questions. And Job finally said, you know what? I don't think I'll ask you anymore. You made your points. I, some of us, maybe we need to do more of that. When you're ready to start asking God why, just go like this. You know, but God still knows our heart. But, but still, the point is, is that, you know, it was an amazing ending. Putting it all together in closing, you know, Jesus' words suggest two questions for me, hopefully for us, and that's this. Whose image do we bear? And the answer is self-evident. We bear the image of God. And if we bear the image of God, we don't get it if this is what we think. Okay, God, you want some of my time. I'll give a little bit of my time to you to do what it is that you want me to do. You know how we all get. Oh, oh and you know what? And I'll give you a little bit of my talent. Oh, and I'll give you a little bit of my money. See where this is going? My time, my talent, my money. See, if you still think like that, you don't get it yet. You don't have any time. You don't have any talent. You don't have any spiritual gifts. You don't have any money. Whatever you have is on loan from you from God... And it's his. So he says, give it back to me. Because it's rightfully mine. Are you doing that? Or are you still busy doing other things? And one day, you'll get to doing what it is that maybe God would have you do. Listen, folks. And the one thing that God wants more than anything else is that you give him yourself. And that means that you have to admit that you're selfish and you've been wrong before God. That means that you have to say, God, forgive me for my selfishness. God, forgive me for my sinfulness. And I will turn from that and I will turn to you. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again from the dead. I believe that he is alive today. And the Bible says, if I call upon him, I will not be disappointed. That I am to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, I will be saved from the consequences, the condemnation, the wrath of God, the judgment of God for my sins. And God, I give you me. And that's why Paul said, I urge you. I beg you, I implore with you, I beseech you. The other night when I spoke, I said to the group of guys in that room and those those gals, I said, look, I know what Paul was saying when he says, I beg you, because when I'm laying on a hallway in a gurney and I don't know if they're going to do surgery because they think my time is numbered and I'm a dead man walking, I know there's only two things that matter in life. One is that you have been forgiven by God and you've come to peace with God through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then you have lived a life that has made a difference for his purposes and for his kingdom. So when I say, I urge you, brother, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like everybody else, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the Word of God. And you will know what the will of God is for your life, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Is your body a living sacrifice to God? Or are you conformed to this world? Stop being like everybody else and be like God wants you to be. And He'll get all the praise. He'll get all the glory. He'll expand His kingdom. And He'll say to you one day, Well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? You did good. Enter into the joy of your master. Father, thank you for your word. For your truth, as difficult as it is at times to hear it, may it penetrate our hearts. May it be planted deep so that there's none of us who leave here or hear this message by CD or tape or other means that will walk away without being changed by you. God, I pray for those who aren't sure of their relationship with you. The fact they're not sure is a good indication they don't have one. That you would become their Lord and their God. Praying a simple prayer, God, forgive me. That's me. I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. God, forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus is the only way I'll ever find your forgiveness. And I believe he died for my sins. He rose again from the dead. I believe that he hears my plea, my cry right now. And I just ask that he would come into my life and be my Lord and my God. And God, I pray for all of God's people that we would recognize that you don't want a part of us. You don't want a piece of us. You don't want some of our time, some of our talents, some of our gifts, some of our money. You want all of us. That you want us to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then to love our neighbor as ourself. God, may we leave here different than we came in because we're committed to being doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen.